So who wants to go swimming uh, down at the ocean? That's a great line. Last summer, when my family was vacationing at the beach, I was in the water. I was about waist deep out in the ocean. I loved to swim in the ocean. And uh, I was getting ready to dive into a wave. But right before I did it, I noticed there was something gray in that wave. And sure enough, it was a shark. And it was a big shark. And I saw the fins, the, the dorsal, whatever you call them. And it scared me to death. Never in my entire life have I ever seen a shark in person in the water before. I'm just grateful that I saw the shark before I dove right into it. Of course, my family reported seeing a man not walking on water, but sprinting across the water. That would be me. I was scared to death. I got out of the water faster than anything you can name. And it was frightening. It was not like out of faith, like Peter walked on the water, Jesus walked on the water. Mine was sheer fear because those things are killing machines. And I saw Jaws when it first came out. So I uh, always had that in the back of my mind. There's a movie out uh, this weekend, 47 Meters Deep. It's about sharks. And I felt led to do a shark movie based on the theme, but I knew that I'd have to go with Jaws because it is such the traditional, the classic movie. I want to show you a, uh, a video clip from the movie in the very first movie where the, the shark shows up in Amity, Massachusetts. Amity, I guess you would say it. And uh, just to see how big and scary they made this shark for the movie. Check it out. That is a huge, monstrous shark. There's four Jaws movies, and each of them has a shark uh, that size or bigger. And these sharks, uh, they're not picky in what they eat. They will eat anything. They, of course, eat people. They eat dogs. Uh, they eat boats. They eat water skis. Uh, one of them even pulled a helicopter down and ate part of the helicopter. They pulled a uh, license plate out of one of the sharks. And so uh, they'll eat anything, not very discerning in their appetites. They'll just eat anything that, that comes before them. Now, of course, you heard the saying, you are what you eat. And I want to think about that today as far as our theme as we think about jaws and, and our lives. And I'm not talking about physically what we eat, but what is it that we, we consume into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts, into our souls, in our culture? And as we consume things, does that make us uh, feel full? You know, Jesus said that he came to give us life to the full. And are we living full lives by consuming the things that are in our culture or do we consume things and it leaves us feeling ironically empty even after we've gorged ourselves on everything that comes our way? Because make no mistake about it, there are lots of things in our culture that, that want to be consumed, that are intended for us to be consumed. Television shows, movies, the internet, social media. There's tons of stuff that's out there that is ours for the taking. Uh, and I guess the question is, are, are we going to be like the shark and just, you know, gobble it all up? Or are we going to be a little bit more intelligent than the shark and be more discerning in what it is that, that we bring into our hearts, that we bring into our minds, that we bring into our souls? And so in your life right now, would you say that you're living life to the full, life to the full in God? Or, or does the life feel maybe half full or maybe even empty? And what is it that we're trying to fill ourselves with? What are we consuming from the culture? And is that making us have life to the full or not? So keep that in the back of your mind as we dive into Scripture this morning because uh, we're going we're gonna to hear the words of Jesus and He's going to talk about what it means to be full and things that, might, that we might consume that might be bad for us. And so uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament. A gospel is the good news about Jesus, the birth, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 main disciples. And so he's writing from an eyewitness standpoint. Uh, and he's, he's talking about a specific time where Jesus had an encounter, kind of a hostile encounter with some of the religious leaders of the day in Israel, 
and they were known as Pharisees and scribes. And they left the, the capital of Jerusalem to go out where Jesus is out preaching uh, more in the northern part of Israel. And they don't like Jesus. They don't think that he's a holy man. They don't think that he really is the son of God or God himself. And he is a threat to their authority and their lifestyle. And so they're trying to give him as much grief as possible. And so uh, we're going to see Jesus come head to head with them. And so let's dive into Matthew chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they had a question for Jesus. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, the religious leaders of the day wanted the people of Israel to follow the law of God that God gave to Moses. There are actually 613 commands and they were expected to follow the laws of Moses. And and then if that wasn't hard enough, some of the religious leaders added on to those other traditions. And they called them the traditions of the elders. And they dated some, some of them all the way back to Moses himself. And so they had the laws, the rules, and then they added more rules. It, it would be like saying, you know, you, you can't go to church and wear, unless you wear a shirt and tie. right? It doesn't say in the Bible to wear a shirt and tie. So we've added different rules and traditions in our own religious experiences with God. And so... So the religious elders are saying, you know, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. That is one of those new traditions of the elders. And it wasn't so that they would do things like we do with hygiene. It wasn't about getting rid of germs or anything. I don't think they even knew what germs were back then. Uh, But it was more of a religious ritual. It was kind of a cleansing of yourself before you could eat. It would be kind of like we we say a blessing before we eat, right? It's not a rule in the Bible, but we think that's a nice thing to do. So they said, you know, it'd be good for you to wash your hands ritually to, you know, get yourself ready spiritually to, to consume the food that God's been able to give you. And, and Jesus' disciples aren't doing this, and so the, the religious leaders are upset about it. But then Jesus gets upset, and, and he's getting ready to call them out on their hypocrisy. And he quotes to them, he says, you know, it says in the law of Moses, the actual law of God, not the stuff that you've made up with the tradition of elders, but in the law of Moses, it says you're supposed to honor your parents, honor your father and honor your mother. And that means to be respectful to them. It means to be kind to them, to love them. But it also means to take care of them in their old age. They didn't really have a retirement system. And so you're supposed to do that. And Jesus knew that some of the Pharisees were, were not doing that. They, they were refraining from living up to this law. And and the way that they were doing that, they were quoting one of the new traditions that they had created, and it was called korban, a practice by which something is declared sacred and a gift to God. I'm going to hang on to this for God. I'm going to, this is a sacred thing for God. I'm going to hang on to it and give it to God when, when God needs that. And so what some of the Pharisees and religious leaders were doing were, instead of taking care of their parents and, and funding their, their time later in life, they'd hang on to their money, they'd hang on to their valuable possessions, say, Mom and Dad, I'd love to help you out, but I need to hang on to this stuff for God. I'm sure you understand. Or and, and they would withhold their time. You know, I, I know that you want me to be there, you need me to be there to support you, Mom and Dad, but you know, my time is holy and it's sacred, and I've got to hang on to that for God. And so I'm, I'm sorry, I just I can't do that. So this bothers Jesus. He's like, you're not living up to the laws. You're doing these, these traditions that don't mean as much as the religious laws. And, and you're calling us out for not washing our hands before we eat. And Jesus is very upset about this. So we continue. And, and this is what he says to him. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. right? You say one thing and you do the other thing. 
Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, was right when he prophesied hundreds of years ago about you. He knew there'd be people like you who would exist. These people honor me with their lips, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You say you follow me, but you don't. Your heart is not right. You have rules, you have traditions, you try to follow those. You're good rule keepers, but you don't really love me. And that bothers Jesus. So, but now he's going to go and he's going to talk about this whole hand-washing thing and, and what defiles us, right? He, the hand-washing so you wouldn't be defiled spiritually. Uh, this is what Jesus says. What goes into someone's mouth, like their food doesn't defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And Peter says to him, one of the 12 disciples, one of the leaders of the disciples, uh, Jesus, can you just explain what you said to us? Right? So Jesus says to the disciples, are you still so dull? Jesus asked him. Jesus doesn't hold punches, right? Not with the religious leaders, not with his own, his own disciples. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then it goes out of the body, right? That's what we do when we eat. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from their heart. And that is what defiles them. That is what makes them unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them. Jesus said, get real, guys. Wake up. It doesn't matter if we wash our hands or not. That's not going to make us unclean before God. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. So why don't you focus on that? Why don't you focus on why it is that you're not taking care of your parents and you're hoarding all your time and your money for yourselves, right? You say you follow me, but you don't, right? So focus what's on the inside that's coming out, right? And so I was thinking about that in our own lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, whatever, whatever you want to kind of call that. What is it that's down there? And how does our heart become defiled so that there's stuff inside of us that comes out and, and, we, and we bring evil or, or, or bad things out into the world. How does that happen? And I think it happens in a couple of different ways. I think, one, it's just there naturally because human beings are not perfect, right? We're, cre- we're created in God's image, which is great and awesome and good, but we also have sin in our hearts and in our lives. And so just being a human being, we, we've got junk inside of us, and it comes out. It comes out in our relationships. It comes out at work. It comes out at school. It comes out at home, whatever it comes out. But then I also think that sometimes our hearts get so messed up and, and so full of, of, of bad stuff is because we're feeding our hearts bad things. We're consuming things from the culture that aren't good for us that Jesus would not have us consume. And so it's kind of like, have you ever heard the computer phrase, garbage in, garbage out? What we put into our hearts is going to come right back out. If we put goodness into our hearts, good things are going to come out. If we put bad things into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls, then bad things are going to come out. That's how it is in computers. If you ever had your computer not work, uh, program not work, printer not working, or, or whatever, not talking to each other, and you, know, you just want to smash it, you want to you know, smash it on the floor, throw it out the window. It always happens in the most inopportune times when your reports do or your papers do, and you've been you know, taking stock, saying, I'm going to do this at the last minute, whatever. We all know what it's like to have a computer malfunction, and it drives us crazy. Then we, we dial into technical support. We wait, you know, listening to elevator music for about 10 or 15 minutes. We finally get a person to talk to, and that, that really calms us down, doesn't it? No, it doesn't calm us down. We're more upset. We're more agitated. We're kind of short with the, the technician on the other side, and then they walk us through the, the whole process. You know, turn your computer off, turn it back on. You unplug it, plug in. You're, right, and you're like, yeah, I did all that, but you find out 
Nine times out of ten, that is not the computer fault. It's your fault. It's my fault, right? User error. We haven't done something right, and so the technician helps us fix it. We're glad now. But So you put garbage into the computer. The computer spits out garbage. And I think the same thing is true of our hearts. We put garbage into our hearts. We put garbage into our minds, into our souls, and out comes garbage from that. We've been talking in the past few weeks about these, these terrible shootings in our nation. Uh, the ones in Ohio, the one in Texas most recently, and just this mass shooting kind of thing that's going on in our nation. Our nation's about 243 years old now, and the 20 worst, most deadliest mass shootings have happened in the last 15 years. Right? So 243 years, last 15 years, most deadly shootings ever in the history of our nation. Why is that? And of course, we hear people with many different opinions on many different sides. You know, some say it's guns, it's too many guns, not enough laws, not the right laws. Some say it's, we've got the laws, we just don't enforce the laws. Some say you know, people with mental illness are getting a hold of guns and, and they're doing it. Some are saying it's, it's the hate that's inside of us that's doing it. Uh, you know, some say it's just, it could be a, a million different things. Right? Lots of different opinions about that, that it's racism. That, you know, and I would think, not to make a political statement, but there's some of all that stuff that's part of the problem. But I was reading this week an article about a guy who says, yeah, all that stuff is real and it's part of the problem. He says, but I think it, it goes deeper than that. He says, I think what's going on is that as a culture, we've become too desensitized to violence. It's become so commonplace and so normal that, that, that we're numb to it, right? It doesn't bother us like it, it used to bother us. Our, our child or our grandchild will run around the house talking about how they blew someone's head off in a video game. We'll say, that's nice, dear. Good job. Did you score a lot of points doing that, right? And so we become desensitized, detached to that. And and then the author writes that he quotes another uh, article, and, and it has some words that they sound made up. They're probably made up. And one of them is the gamification of terror, right? We've made a game out of terror from video games to talking about it on social media to the, the news media to politicians using numbers and, and stories against one another. It's all become one big game, right, with a high price tag, the life of people, lives of people. And then this other author talks about the internetification of terror. That's totally a made-up word. Uh, but he's like, you know, on the internet, everywhere are stories and social media and whatever, video games, online games, that, that terror just becomes normal. It becomes commonplace. And so we are so desensitized to it. That, oh, yeah, 20 more people die. Well, that, that's sad, but we go on living our lives. You know, our kids are talking about decapitating and blowing up people's heads in video games. And, yeah, that's okay. That's what, that's what kids do. Right? And, and so the, the authors of these articles say we shouldn't be surprised that we're having all these mass murders because we live and created a culture of violence. And, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a 16-year-old student... 16-year-old student won $3 million for playing a video game. $3 million for playing a video game. So my kids, 11 and 7, are like, Dad, I want to make money playing video games. And the video games that, that he played to win $3 million is, is Fortnite. And it's a game about shooting people. It's a game about surviving. And it's, it's, it's a violent game. Right? And so what, are, what message are we sending to our kids and our culture saying, you could win $3 million for blowing people away? And we're surprised that there are all these mass shootings that are happening in our culture. And so the, the author says, garbage in, garbage out. If we're putting violence into our lives, it's going to come right back out. Right? So that's real. 
I was, uh, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself here about everything that I'm saying. I consume a lot of stuff. My kids consume a lot of stuff, and it's not all good, right? So I'm stepping on my own toes here today. It's, it's, it's just real life. It's what we're faced with here in our country, greatest country in the world, but it, it's not perfect. I had a friend, lifelong friend, contact me one time and said his marriage was in trouble, and I sat with him on the phone. We talked a lot. We prayed really tried to press him to figure out what was going on. And he knew what was going on. And he finally was honest with me. He said, Kyle, I've become addicted to pornography. It's ruining my marriage. Right? Fortunately, he took some steps to get some help and, and get out of that. Right? Uh, it, it, it's prevalent in our culture. Right? Some of the most popular shows that are out, right? popular shows that, that mainstream Americans can watch uh, are full of pornography. Uh, the Game of Thrones, right? multi-million dollar industry. Right, books and movies, or actually their television shows on, on HBO, uh, just ended the, uh, you know, a long run, nine, ten years. And uh, you watch any of those shows, there's a lot of pornography in there. You know, the, people say, well, it's soft pornography, but it's pornography. Right? And, and, and we're feeding this into our lives and our, and our souls. And I wonder what that's doing to relationships. Uh, I, I wonder what people who watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette you know, think about dating. Is this the way that you meet someone? You, you date 20 different people. You go to exotic locations, you choose three or four to sleep with, uh, and then at the end you decide, well, I'm in love with this person, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with them. Is that really what love is all about? Is, is that helping relationships in, in our culture? Or we watch uh, news, we, we watch television shows, reality shows, we, we get on social media, and people are consistently so rude to one another, over-the-top rude, that, that now we wonder why there's no respect for people in our culture. We see messaging in our culture, buy whatever you want. It doesn't matter if you can afford it or not. And so how many of us are in major debt way over our heads and it's, it's crushing us. And instead of living life to the full, we have all this stuff, but we're so much debt that we are living life to the empty. Right? Garbage in, garbage out. We shouldn't be surprised by the way that some of the things are unfolding in our lives. You know, I know some of you are like, lighten up, Pastor Kyle, <laughs> you know, and come on, man, just, just chill out. And I get it. I get it. But I think we play a dangerous game. I think the dangerous game is it's just a game, right? Oh, it's, it's just a television show, Pastor Kyle. It's no big deal. It's just a movie. It's not going to affect my, my child. It's just a video game. It's just a social media post. It's just soft pornography, right? It, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a cartoon for adults, right? It, it's just my internet persona. I'm not really a racist. I might say racist things on the internet, but I'm not really a racist, right? That's just exactly what the devil wants us to think. He wants us to think it's innocent. He wants us to think it's small. It's, there's nothing wrong with it, right? That it's just a small little thing. But all those little things add up, and pretty soon we're going to find out that we've been feeding our hearts full of, of stuff that's killing us. It's killing our kids. It's killing our grandchildren. And it's helping us not to live life to the full. It's not just a game. It's not just a movie. It's not just a post. It's not just a blog. It's not just an Internet persona. If we're typing hateful things on the Internet, then we have hate in our hearts, and we've got to look in the mirror and be honest about that. And that's not what Jesus came to give us. That's not life to the full that, that God came to give us. And, and I know that we can't live in like a bubble. We can't just stay in our houses and read the Bible 24 hours a day. That would even drive me crazy, you know. And we, we live in the world. We live in culture. And so we're going to watch TV shows. We're going to watch movies. But we've got to be careful about that. We've got to be careful about what, what's the balance in all of that. 
Uh, are we putting more bad stuff into our hearts? Are we putting more good stuff into our hearts? Is the scale tipped? I think as Jesus' followers, Jesus will want us to tip the scale towards more good stuff going into our minds and our hearts and our souls than bad stuff is going into there. The Apostle Paul, the first century pastor who started most of the Christian churches in the, in the first century in the Mediterranean world, wrote a letter to one of his churches in Philippi in the Mediterranean world to the Philippians. And this is what he says about bringing stuff into our hearts and, and our minds and our souls. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How many shows, how many movies, how many blogs, how many social posts, social media posts do we find that are noble and right and pure and lovely, right? Are we feeding ourselves that kind of stuff in our lives? Is that tipping the scales over the negative stuff that, that's coming into us, right? At South Park Church, we believe one of our three core values is transformation, that God meets us where we are and He helps us become something more. God helps us become something better. He transforms our lives for the better. And some of our core practices, things that we do to help be transformed by God, one of those is worshiping together. And so being here, we want to we help bring more goodness into your life by invoking the Holy Spirit. So good for you for being here today or listening to us on the podcast or watching us on the video today. Thank you. I think that's a, a way to tap into the goodness that Paul talks about. Other things that we do is we challenge each other to read the Bible every day and to pray every day. Spend time in God's presence, right? And, if, you know, how many hours do we watch of television or Internet or social media? And, and how do we compare that to reading Scripture or prayers? Like we'll watch hours of stuff and we won't even get God five minutes of our time, right? And we wonder why we're stressed and anxious in our, and we just feel so negative in our life because we're out of balance, right? And so... So Paul encourages us to think of these things. And again, I'm not asking you to stick your head in the sand, right? We live in culture, but maybe instead of being uh, changed by culture, maybe God's calling us to be in culture to change culture. This world's important, right? This world is where we live now. When Jesus comes back, it says in the book of Revelation that he's going to make the earth a new place, the, the new heaven, the new earth. We're going to live on the new earth for eternity, right? So we might as well get used to this place and we need to help celebrate the good things that are happening in our lives. And I think Paul says it very clearly. And so what are we putting into our hearts? What are we putting into our souls? What are we, what are we pouring into our children, right? The next generation, what are we pouring into our grandchildren? Right? School's getting ready to start. We celebrated our interns last week, right? What are we pouring into the next generation as far as feeding their hearts and feeding their souls? Right? That's, a, that's, a, that's a tall order. That's a tall responsibility. But we do have to be careful. I think religious practices like worship, like scripture and prayer and small groups and serving God are great. And they're ways that we plug into God, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we might not feel like that we're connecting to God, we are invoking the Holy Spirit into our lives. And good things can happen. We can come to follow God through doing these things. But if we're not careful, sometimes the religious things that we do, can, we can become like the Pharisees. And we can focus on so much of the rules of, well, I, I do this and don't do that and watch this and don't watch that. We can fall into the trap of the Pharisees and we can be doing the right things outwardly, but our hearts have not been changed because our hearts are not right. Now think about this. Hard hearts can be masked by religious acts, right? We can sing, we can praise, we can worship, we can be in small groups, we can read the Bible, and we can still keep our hearts as hard as we want. 
right? And still leave the evil in there, right? So we got to be careful to know it's more about a relationship with God than it is about a rules kind of connection. The evil of our hearts cannot be cleansed by religious activity, but by God alone. Only God can change our hearts, right? Religious activities can bring us to the, 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 the throne of God, can connect us to God, but God is the heart changer, right? And to me, that's comfortable because I know that the evil of my heart, I can't get rid of it by myself. I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need Jesus. I'm going to need God the Father to come in and do something, do some heart surgery on me to help me be in a better place. And so uh, I love this passage from the Old Testament. This time we're about 500 years before Jesus is born. This is from Ezekiel. He's a prophet, which means a spokesperson for God. And he's talking about God giving the nation of Israel a new heart. And I think it works for you and me also here today in the 21st century America. Check this out. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Man, maybe if you're like me, right, that, that sounds encouraging. Maybe if I got a heart condition, God can help me with that. So what, Pastor Kyle? What, what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the message? What, what does God want us to walk away with today, do you think? And, and I think it's this. And I, I think the words are very carefully crafted. I want you to pay attention to the order of these words. Life to the full is found in obedience from the heart to Jesus. Life to the full is found, some would say, by being obedient to Jesus. But I think the words from the heart are more important. Right? We have to start with the heart. We have to give Jesus a heart. We have to let Jesus win our hearts. If we love Jesus, if we have a relationship with Jesus, then we're going to want to do the things that he asks us to do rather than vice versa. Right? If I love my wife, Laura, I want to please her. I want to take care of her. I want the best for her in her life. And so if she asks me to do something, I'm going to do that not because I want to earn her love, but because I love her. And if it's going to make her life easier, that's, that's going to help me. If it's going to help our relationship, I'm going to do that. If, if Laura asked me to take out the trash and I'm tired and I don't feel like doing that, right, I'm going to do that not because our relationship's based on rules where she says, I'll stay in a relationship with you if you follow the rules, Kyle. No, it's because I love her and I want to be in a good relationship. I want to, I want to please her. Right? I'm, I'm going to do what she asked because our relationship. It's not vice versa. And so we follow God's directives because we love God and because God asks us to do things because they're good for us. Right? So it's about relationships first. It's not about rules. But if we're in a relationship with God, then we're going to want to do things that God asks us to do. And again, that's good for us. And, and so maybe the question is, well, how is my heart? How do I know if I have a heart for Jesus? How do I know if, if my heart's in the right way, if it's leaning towards the right side of the, of, the, of the equation, right, to the good side rather than the dark side? Right? The Scripture says, Jesus says, look at your treasure. What do you love? That, that says where your heart is. Well, how do I know what my treasure is? I don't have a gold chest buried in my backyard with a big X on it. Right? What is, what's my treasure? Our treasure is how we spend our time and our money, our two greatest resources. So the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, are those on godly pursuits or are those on, on worldly pursuits that leave us empty? Right? With our, you know, how do we spend our time? What are we watching? What are we listening? What are we consuming? Who are we hanging out with? What are we spending our money on? 
Are they, are they godly things? Or are, are there things that support habits that aren't very godly in our lives? You know, an eye-opening thing for me, uh, I looked at the screen time app on my phone that tells how much time I'm looking at my phone and what I'm looking at on my phone. That'll scare you to death. It'll scare me to death. Like how many hours on my phone, what sites I'm looking at, how much text I'm doing, like how much social media I'm doing. Right? Where we spend our time, where we spend our money, that's where our heart is. And that'll tell you pretty, pretty easily, does my heart belong to Jesus or does it belong to the world? And so maybe if you're like me, the promise God made to Ezekiel is very, very encouraging. Maybe we need a heart transplant. Right? Not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Maybe we need a heart surgeon. We need God to do something inside of us. We're tired of living a life that's empty. We want a life that's full. And we want a, we want a heart for God. We want a heart for Jesus. We want a heart for the Holy Spirit. Right? If you're there and you're in that spot and you want that life to the full, you want that relationship to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now to, to pray some scripture out loud with me. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago when we looked at King David when he messed up royally and he was truly sorry and he wanted to, to be back in line with God. He asked God to give him a pure heart and to forgive him and that, that he would offer God his broken heart. And so we're going to go to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament right in the middle of the Bible. And if you're in that place, I just want to invite you to say these words aloud that we want to consume God. We don't want to consume the junk. We want to consume God into our lives. So if you would, just maybe pray this prayer with me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You are what you eat. And Jesus, like he did this really weird thing the last night he was with his disciples before he would be arrested and executed and killed on the cross. He had a meal with them and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he said something weird, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. And then he took a cup of wine and gave it to him and said, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant, right? The new deal, right? So that your sins and other people's sins, your wrongdoing, can be forgiven. Whenever you do this, remember me. Now you look at that from the outside and you're like, Jesus is asking us to be vampires, right? Eating flesh and drinking blood, but it's, it's just symbolic. And what it means is that if we're hungry for Jesus, if we're thirsty for Jesus, if we want to be filled with Jesus, Jesus is ready to come into our lives. So when we eat the bread of communion, drink the grape juice of communion, what we're saying is, God, I want to be full with you. I want a life to the full, and I want you to pour yourself into me so that goodness comes into me, goodness goes back out into the world, to my children and to my friends and my grandchildren and my boss and, and my neighbors, right? Jesus, pour yourself into me so that I can then pour back out into the world if you're hungry for that, if you're thirsty for that, you're in the right place. So I'd invite you to, to get out this little packet that you were handed when you came in. Communion. 
This bread symbolizes the body of Jesus broken for us. This grape juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus shed for us. You don't have to be a, a Christian. You don't have to be a member of our church. This is God's gift. If you want to be filled with God, this is a great place to start. So I invite you to peel back that top layer, get out this wafer, and know that this is the body of Jesus broken for you. Now we know that this grape juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. You are what you eat. So be more discerning and be smarter than that shark who ate everything. Be careful what you consume. You are what you eat. Be smarter than the shark. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.